Writer E.M. Forrester said spoon feeding in the long run teaches us nothing but the shape of the spoon. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of being corrected by others and ask the question, who in our lives can rebuke us? You're listening to the Leadership Lessons Podcast, hosted by Pastor Daniel Williams, a podcast to encourage and equip church leaders. Brought to you by eeleaders.com. Well, today we are moving on to chapter five of the book of Nehemiah. The last few episodes have been about opposition and friction, fun topics, right? Like criticism, opposition, um, discouragement. But listen, in this week's episode, it's about having people in your life who can encourage you, can help you lead. Now, we all know that if you're a leader, um, man, you can't please everyone and there will be opposition. But part of the way that we overcome opposition is having people in our lives to encourage us. Like 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. But here's the shocking thing about um, having a good friend and someone to encourage you. They're going to be able to do this through rebuking you. That's right. Rebuking can actually help you grow in your leadership and in your relationship with the Lord. You see, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Perfuses are the kisses of an enemy. I like what Tim Keller said about rebuking. He said, like a surgeon, friends cut you in order to heal you. And listen, we may not think about this in leadership, uh, having a good friend uh, sort of cutting us to heal us, but it's an important aspect of friendship, of mentorship, and of growing in our leadership. Good friends and godly leaders know how to rebuke others and have the courage to do it. Now, let me give you uh, just a a simple definition of rebuke of what it means, um, just so that way we're on the same page. Rebuke means an expressed express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. Let me say it one more time. A rebuke means an expressed sharp disapproval of critis or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. And part of being a good leader is um, is correcting people, uh, is correcting them in love. And so um, we see Nehemiah in chapter five having to rebuke the people and express a sharp disapproval of their behavior. Why? Because not everyone was acting in line of what God wanted them to do. Um, not not because he wasn't for them, it was actually the opposite. He rebukes them because he wanted the best for them. And oftentimes in our leadership, when we want the best for people, it's going to require us to have boldness, courage, and faith to actually confront them to follow God. Now, one of the ways our friends and mentors can help us is simply by telling us the truth and rebuking us. And we need this not only to express this in our leadership, but for our own lives. This is how we grow. I love what George Lucas, the uh, great Star Wars director, writer, actor said. He said, mentors have a way of seeing more of our faults that we would like to. Uh, It's the only way that we can grow. And so we don't want to ignore um, our deficiencies, our weaknesses. We want to be able to overcome in Christ, but we need sometimes people to to let us know our blind spots. Uh, so Nehemiah, as a leader, rebuked and corrected the people to deal with sin appropriately. Now, what I want to do is just look at the context of the first uh, maybe eight verses and just read them for you because I want you to understand what's happening on chapter five uh, for us to sort of dive into this topic of 
who can rebuke us? How do we rebuke? And those type of things. So verses one through eight, it talks about how there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. And it says, now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and with our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brother, our children, or their children. Yet we are focused, forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. And so Nehemiah took this um, information from the people as they're crying out and telling them their situation in being in poverty, uh, being in famine, having to sell their children and their fields and all this different stuff. And in verse six through eight, he says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And so I took counsel to myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are extracting interest each from his brother. And I have held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may have, uh, that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but it does give us context and talk about how there was sin in the camp. And in verse one, it says there is a great outcry from these people. It arose. Uh, there was a bad situation going down as oftentimes God places us in leadership roles to fix problems. And this was a big problem. There was a famine going on in the land and the people couldn't buy food or even able to pay their taxes. And because of these financial problems, it threatened the work of the wall. It was a big distraction. Remember, there was a great uh, vision that, that Nehemiah gave forth to build the wall to restore lives. But because of these other things, it got in the way of the big vision. And so just for you, church leader, understand there are going to be, there's a great vision that you called to do in a local church, but other things can distract it. Other problems can distract it. Emotional health can distract it. Immaturity, these type of things that you're going to have to deal with in order to accomplish the greater vision that God has called many people to do together. And so rightly so, Nehemiah confronts this and deals with this because before you build, you need to have a strong foundation. And the wall was not just to build a wall or a city, but it was for people. And so this was a people problem. And Nehemiah was going to this problem to minister to people. Uh, but the kicker was the people didn't have each other's backs. Uh, they didn't want to help in the problem. They actually abused the situation and made it worse. Instead of the countrymen helping their brothers like God wanted them to in an expression of love, they actually were charging interest for food. They were taking other Jewish people's daughters and sons as slaves. And this was wrong and sin on their part. And we know this from verses like Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20 or Exodus 22, 25, which says, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to them. You shall not extract interest from him. But some were having to sell their property and children just to survive. And it was causing a great problem. Again, Leviticus 25, 39 and 40 says, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. Uh, 
He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. There was a a way that was honorable and dignified to be able to help people out, to love them, and they were not doing that. There was a problem now for this great wall to be accomplished because there was a problem inside the team. And Nehemiah was trying to address this and fix this. Now, Warren Wiersbe said, when the enemy falls and he fails in his attack from the outside, he then begins to attack from within. And one of his favorite we- weapons is selfishness. And so these Jewish leaders, business people were exploiting the poor and they were doing it for selfish gain. And um, God didn't want that. Jeremiah, the prophet, he would cry out to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 22, 13, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who made his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not uh, give him wages. This sin paused the work of God and caused disunity from within the people. And so this misappropriate behavior, this sin affected the people's lives and it caused Nehemiah to not only be angry, but to take action. In verse six and seven, he says, I was angry when I heard their outcry of these words and I took counsel to myself. Now, this is important because he's about to act, but it says in his anger, he did not sin. He took some counsel to himself. That's always a good uh, thing to learn, right? Before you send the email, maybe sleep on it. Before you you bounce back with a word or, or get defensive, man, maybe you should not sin in your anger. There's nothing wrong with having a righteous anger, but Ephesians 4.26 tells us do not sin in that anger. Sometimes we need a holy ambition or anger to cause us to act, but we need to still act in love uh, and, and in faith, trusting God in how to do it, not just taking our emotions and dealing with that. So I like that. I like that he took counsel with himself. Um, But Nehemiah then moved forward in wisdom and he confronted the situation head on. Too many of us take counsel with ourselves and we leave it there. We don't actually do anything because then it means we got to confront and have confrontation, confront the problem, have confrontation. But Nehemiah actually goes forward in verses 9 through 13 and he rebukes the people. And let me just tell you, this was good leadership. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good, Nehemiah said. Ought you uh, ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Now, Nehemiah was telling them the truth in love and correcting their sinful behavior. And this is what good friends do. This is what good leaders and mentors do, even though it is hard. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the importance of rebuking others with boldness and how God's called us to that responsibility. But I sort of want to just pivot and pause and make sure we understand and learn and ask the question, uh, man, do we have a Nehemiah in our life? Oftentimes as leaders, we're just trying to build our leadership. But what about people that like can rebuke us? Have we humbled ourselves enough to have someone in our lives to rebuke us? Are we cultivating friendships and coaches and mentors to actually pour into our lives? Because the vision would continue because Nehemiah would confront it and these other nobles. And that's awesome. And God wants to have us rebuke others and do that to people in our leadership. But who's doing that to us? And so I'm asking, man, who am I inviting to speak into my life? 
Do I have enough humility on my part to submit to other people's wisdom and to glean information and to understand that I have blind spots and invite people to to help me in my leadership? This is so important. You know, C.L. Lewis once said, the next best best thing to being um, wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. The next best thing of being wise in oneself is to live in a circle who those who are. Who's in your circle? Are you cultivating relationships? Too many leaders are leading alone. They don't have a circle of people around them that can actually hold them accountable. And many leaders are submitting to no one. And they don't have a mentor. They don't have a leader. They don't even have friends. And let me just tell you, this is dangerous. Because the honest truth is, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. We all struggle with the flesh. These dysfunctional disorders or sinful nature. And we all have blind spots, even as leaders. And so we need to have wisdom in community as we lead. But I often talk to so many people that are doing it alone, that have no one to uh, have counsel, to rebuke them, to correct them, to help them, to give them wisdom and insight. So before we talk about rebuking others, I just wanted to bring up this point. We see rebuking as an important part of leadership and actually help these people. How are you embracing and encouraging other people to correct and rebuke you, right? Great leaders are the ones that are um, great followers, I believe, first, and submissive to the Lord and then submissive to others. And so who in your life can rebuke you, that loves you enough to tell the truth, to hold you accountable? Are you listening? Do you have a, a humble spirit to listen to your spouse, to listen to your team, to listen to a coach or a mentor, one that trust you trust and love and they love you and you love them man we all need people in our life to tell us truth and love proverbs 27 5 says open rebuke is better than secret love people don't hate you uh not everyone hates you there are people on your side that will tell you the truth because they love you we need to seek those people and find them and invite them to rebuke us submit to their authority and i found that as a leader i need to continually invite people in into my life and make systems where i can ask people for feedback um, to get better and to be corrected and to strive for excellence and purity now there's two ways you can think about inviting uh, wisdom into your life. The first is we need to be submitting to the Lord and his word. We know that the Holy Spirit has given us God's word to equip us, right? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says that it was breathed out and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And so that just simply means, do you have a consistent time with the Lord in his word? Are you allowing the Lord to rebuke you, to be guided in his word. This is a, an important aspect where you can invite God to rebuke you as you go to his word and say, Lord, I want to walk in your ways. This is the best thing that you can do for leadership in your leadership is just to grow in the word of God and to allow God to use his word to pierce your heart, to transform you and just to say, I'm going to submit to your word. And then it plays out also into people because then it takes me asking people to be in my life that can come alongside of me and love me in this way. I, even as a pastor, need to have fellowship with other Christians, not even just other 
pastors, our leaders, but just Christians. We're to love one another and speak truth in in one another's lives. And so, you know, Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I need to have a circle of godly people that I could pour into and be, uh, um, and they pour into me. This is what the, the body of Christ does. It takes me as a wise person to seek godly counsel and to build community in my life. Now, I know that many of us going through a pandemic of isolation, it actually created some bad habits. We actually learned to be isolated with only our family unit. Uh, So many of us have stopped uh, having the habit of going to certain meetings or fellowship gatherings outside of just our local church. Things got so busy. But listen, we need to make every effort to get back into fellowship with brothers and sisters that we love, that we have a relationship with, that are doing the work of the ministry, that we can grow in one another. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to have us isolated because he knows there's great strength in unity and in fellowship. This is why God tells us to stay in fellowship, like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, to stir one another up to do good works. And so if we want to be better leaders and do good works, we need to have fellowship. We need to be uh, have relationships where we could be transparent and people could speak truth into our lives and we could do the same. But listen, relationships take time and they take energy, but they're worth it. They're worth it. Um, and you as a leader need friends that can rebuke you. You need to take time to build trust and to invite people and invite God himself to be in your life, to speak truth and love over your life and in your life. You need fellowship with the body of Christ. And so you need people that love you enough to tell you the truth and you need the church. And so I bring up this question because next episode we'll talk about rebuking others and the role this plays in our leadership. But first, I just wanted to make sure we invite others to this role in our lives. And so I wanted to ask you the question, who can rebuke you? Who can rebuke you? Do you have a mentor? Do you have a friend? Do you Are you building relationships? Are you proactively humbling yourself and asking for input? Are you able to receive truth in love? And are you able to understand that if people that love you, criticize you, rebuke you, correct you, it's actually for your good and it should encourage you that they have enough boldness to do that. It took a lot of boldness for Nehemiah to do that with these people. He was just starting to build a relationship and he saw this problem and he tried to help. And next episode, we're going to talk about how we as leaders need to do the same thing and actually rebuke people to help. But before we do that, ponder on that truth. Who's rebuking you? Who? How are you building relationships? And how can you invite, and through humility, uh, input to get better? Join us for a conversation with Pastor Daniel and his dad, Pastor Joe Williams, as they share a pastoral perspective on the book of Nehemiah. Well, we're talking about who can rebuke you, the importance of submitting and being under authority. Great leaders know how to submit before they lead. And so it's a very important topic and subject and wanted to continue to get expertise, wisdom, advice, counsel from Pastor Joe Williams. So we're here in Tacoma. We'll keep on talking. It's episode number 17. And we're just talking about authority. Why is it, Daddy, uh, that submitting to authority is so important to learn as a leader? Well, submitting to authority, I think, is very important. Um, 
we are called to, you, before you can be a good leader, you got to be a good follower. And, you know, submitting to authority keeps us accountable also. Um, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, if people want to, I'm accountable to, you know, we call Calvary Chapels, right? We all are called Calvary Chapels, but, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, um, Wayne Taylor here in Seattle, he kind of oversees all the Calvary Chapels, and basically, we respect him. He's one of my favorite teachers. Uh, if I have an issue, um, if, let's say if I get off base and start teaching things that I shouldn't, and if Wayne would call me and says, hey, Joe, you shouldn't be teaching that, here's why, blah, blah, I would submit to his authority. Because I've known the guy for 25 years, and I know he's got a great heart, he's a great teacher, and um, um, I listen to him all the time, and I tell you, you know, I'm under his authority. If he tells me that I'm doing something wrong, I would submit to his authority, because he keeps um, me accountable, and other pastors, and my board also keeps me accountable. I'm, I'm accountable to my board. If I get off, like, you know, uh, in false doctrine or something like that, uh, I'm under the authority of my board. They would correct me, and I would submit to their authority. So I think authority is good when it's used properly. It's not that, they, it's not that they're trying to lord over you, but what I've learned, what I've learned over the years, that anybody can get off. Um, and when you're not accountable, you can get way off and you know way out in left field. You need someone to bring you back into reality. You need someone you can go to. So I have those guys, my board, my elders. You know, you know, I have Wayne. I have his phone number. I can call him anytime and ask him questions. If I have a problem, he's always there. Um, I just really appreciate him. So uh, I would submit to what he would say without, without getting angry, you know, because sometimes we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to submit to authority. Sometimes we think that we're right. And, you know, you're not always right. Sometimes you can be off base and not even know it. So there's nothing wrong with submitting to authority. I think it's very important. How do we as church leaders build accountability into our lives and actually have people hold us accountable, um, have that humble spirit and submit to authority? Well, you know, if a, if a person doesn't want to submit to authority, that's pride. But, but you know, as you grow in Christ, you'll find out that you know, it keeps you accountable. There's nothing wrong with that. And for people who have problems with uh, submitting to authority, you know, we we don't always agree, of course. You know, we're supposed to submit to the authority of the government. We don't always agree with the government. Romans 13 said we should obey them. You know, so whether you agree with them or whether you don't. So, you know, be accountable it holds, you, it holds you accountable. Just, I think you learn this over, year, over a period of time, though, because, you know, when you first go into the ministry, you, you think you kind of know it all. You, you know, you think that, boy, I got all the answers and blah, blah, this and that. And, you know, but the longer you are in the ministry, you find out how much you don't know. 
it seems like the more you know, the more you grow in Christ, the more you find out the things that you don't know and that you don't understand. And um, so don't be afraid of that. Submit into authority. People are not trying to, usually people are not trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you and make you better at what you do. And for that, how do we find, let's say for accountability purposes, not just when we mess up, Nehemiah rebuked him and held them accountable, but how do we find mentors and coaches? Because sometimes it's not a sin issue, it's just more of a correction. It's more of uh, proactively humbling ourselves and getting wise and getting better. How have you found uh, mentors and coaches to help you in the ministry as you've gone along along the way? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> i go back to Wayne Taylor again. He's one of my favorite, you know, teachers, but he's so willing to listen, you know. You know, he, he just got a listening ear, and uh, he's just always willing to help, and he's always willing to work with you and to help you any way he can. And, you know, I, I know he's been criticized, but he didn't get bitter, so... Um, he kept right on teaching and doing what God told him to do. But I think you learned over the years, you learned over the years that, you know, people are people. You know, authority authority can be abused, yes. It can be misused, yes. But there's also some good authority that you should submit to that's going to be very helpful. So let's not be afraid to, uh, to be accountable, to submit to people who's trying to help us. When was a time or last time you could think of when someone rebuked you, corrected you, and it actually helped you? Maybe it was your elders. Maybe it was your board. Not a big thing. Not like you did false doctrine, but maybe something where you were just going the wrong way and um, people said, hey, man, you're not very loving in that way. Or, you know, maybe you could have said it this way. When was the last time that you received a correction from uh, someone in your life? Well, you know, I, I received a correction uh because, you know, there's so many people that come to church on Sunday that you want to talk to, um, you know, and I want to really acknowledge everybody. I really don't have time to acknowledge everybody, but I want to acknowledge everybody when they come. And um, when I don't, you know, sometimes people get offended when I don't, but I had a person tell me one time, they said that, uh, well, you're not listening to what I'm saying, you know. And I really wasn't. I was trying to greet this. This person had an issue, had a problem. But people were coming in. They were saying, hello, 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 this. And I was trying to greet that person. And that and that person coming in saying, good morning, how you doing, and all of this. And I wasn't listening to the person that really had the need at the time. And that person told me, said, you know, you're not really a good listener. And he was right. I wasn't listening, you know. So I, I told him, I said, you know, ma'am, you're right. I, I, was, I wasn't listening to you and your problem and your needs. Um, hey, let's, let's talk after church, and we can talk about it, okay? And after church, we talked, and it was great. He went away rejoicing. He went, he, um, I learned that when people have a need, I heard somebody say, some, um, I heard somebody say one time, you, uh, you should be able to read to read people enough to know, not all the time, to know, but when they have a problem. Sometimes you can just look at people and tell they got a problem coming into, 
into the church. You can just know they've had a bad week or something. And sometimes they want people to listen to them. Because most of my counseling really is listening to other people. Uh, Chuck, Smith, Chuck Smith said that as long as people are talking, if they're hurting, if they're talking, it's very therapeutic. As long as they're talking, let them talk. Let them get it all out. If they want to cry, let them cry. But don't interrupt them. When they're talking, don't interrupt them. Let them go. Let them talk. So that's what I've learned over the years. I just, every situation is different. And you know how God will lead you? He might lead you differently. But I've been been rebuked by just not being uh, a good listener. And also, uh, I've been rebuked over the years by not returning people's phone calls. <laughs> People call me and says, hey, man, they'll put it on the voicemail or something. Or they'll send me an email. I don't respond. And uh, they send me a voicemail and I don't uh, I don't respond. And they'll send me a phone call. I don't I don't call them back for like three or four days. And, you know, that really that don't sit right with people. If people call you and you, you tell people you're going to return their phone calls, you better do it. Because if you don't, once you see them on Sunday, they're going to remind you of it. They're going to say, hey, I called you. Why didn't you return my phone call? Very embarrassing. I've done it before because I got busy and I, I meant to do it. I forgot, but they didn't forget. And so when I show up on a Sunday morning, they bring it to my attention and say, why didn't you return my phone call? I had, I had my cousin in the hospital, man. I needed prayer and uh, I wanted you to pray with me, man, and you didn't even return my phone calls. And I'm thinking, ouch, man, you're right. So I've, I've been rebuked from that too. Why do you think people have such a hard time with authority and with being corrected? No one likes authority. I mean, we don't like it. Even till this day, I don't like it. I mean, you know, you're driving on the freeway. The freeway says 60. Well, you're going to go 65 just to, they, they can't tell me to drive 60. I'm going to go 65, you know, because a lot of times people don't want to be told what to do. No one really likes authority, but... Authority can be a good thing. It can be a great thing. I don't know why people don't, don't like it, but a lot of people don't. Well, obviously there's good authority like coaches and mentors. You mentioned uh, Pastor Wayne Taylor, but what about some other, who is some other people in your life that have influenced you and um, helped you along the way? Maybe maybe not necessarily mentors. You meet with them every every week or month, but just great people that have influenced you in your ministry? Who are some people like that? Oh, you know, I like a lot of t good teachers. You know, John MacArthur, Chuck Smith, J. Vernon McGee, uh, Charles Stanley, um, you know, Greg Laurie, you know, uh, Michael Youssef, he's a good teacher. Uh, you know, Chuck Swindoll over the years, he's been one of my favorite teachers. There's, there's a lot of good teachers out there. You know, I'm sure you got your favorite too. You got your favorite teachers also. But those are some of the guys that been at it for a long time. Um, and they speaking from experience. You know, when you've been passing 40 years, you have your own experience. You have your own story to tell. Because you've talked to a lot of people and you've been doing a lot of, uh, you've been doing this thing a long time and you've made mistakes and you share those mistakes. I share my mistakes all the time that 
that I've made, hopefully to prevent someone else from making the same mistakes, to help them. Um, you know, God doesn't like pride. He doesn't like pride. Uh, we, we don't, you know, if any man think he stand, take heed that he falls. You know, we don't, we need the Holy Spirit constantly. We need wisdom constantly. We got to be praying constantly, asking God for help. Because, you know, we, we're going to be growing till the day the Lord comes. We're going to be constantly growing. So, I'm sure you got your story to tell, but that's my story. Well, any last thoughts or words about submitting to authority, the importance of having authority, or just mentorship and coaching and just dying to yourself and listening to other people? I think you have to, you know, really die to self and listen to people, but mentors are very good to have. You need someone. I was reading a book on leadership, and it said most pastors in America, they don't have anyone to go to or to talk to if they have a problem. They have no one. And I think it's pretty sad. Uh, even in my own life, if I run across a problem, I think it's pride. I'm too proud sometimes to pick up the phone and say, hey man, could you pray with me on this? Because I'm going through you know, this situation or this circumstance, could you pray with me? But no, sometimes I won't do it. I says, you know what? I'm not going to tell them about it. I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to get through this by myself. And I think that's just pride. I think there's guys out there that's willing to help you and they're willing to talk to you and spend time and pray with you. But sometimes we don't open up and we don't let people really see that we are hurting or uh, discouraged. But don't be that way. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'm sure there's brothers in your area that would love to do that. So, there, we we are here to help one another. Really, we're not against each other. You know, we sh we should be very supportive to each other's ministries, and should be praying for each other's ministries. So don't try to do it alone. Find you a mentor, someone that can go through those hard times with you. Thank you for joining us for today's Leadership Lessons podcast. For more content, you can visit eeleaders.com and follow us on social media at eeleaders.